All right, well, before we get on to our text, uh, I'm not going to be anchored to any one text tonight. I'll, I'll be sort of jumping around. I want to give you a testimony a little bit about what's going on in Punta Gorda, whatever that was. Um, it might be easier just to know it by what its Spanish interpretation means. Fat points, so um, in Spanish. So if it's easier for you all, um, there might be a few more connective meanings there but for you to take in. The fat point, if that's easier, you can go with that. But um, uh, yeah, we're about two hours south of Tampa, about 45 minutes north of Fort Myers, right on the Gulf of Mexico. And so um, that's Punta Gorda, where we're at, and having a good time down there. I uh, thoroughly enjoy being here with, um, with Cornerstone. And I uh, enjoyed the, the retreat that we were able to go to and be a part of. And your fellowship is, reminds, me, it reminds me of our church at home. We, we sort of have a, I always say our, the slogan of our church should be the church that just never goes home. I mean, we, our service starts at 5 o'clock and my son's preaching tonight and it starts at 5 o'clock. And, um, and uh, we moved it up to that and uh, they will be there probably until... 10:30 tonight. Uh, they just they just don't go home. You know they they preach. We preach the service. Then they sing in the foyers. They'll have some time where they'll break out doing specials. They'll sing in the foyer, sing sing for a while. Then they go out and they'll play softball. Then after softball, they play basketball because there's lights. And then after they tire from basketball, they go out to the volleyball court. They play volleyball. And then they say, hey, let's go get some ice cream. So it's like, and that takes about 10, about 10, 10, 15 before they finally say, hey, let's go get some ice cream. So about 1030, finally they pull away. It's a church that just never goes home because the fellowship really is, is, is delightful. They really do have a lot of uh, good fellowship. And it reminds me, it, just being here reminds me of our church. It's just so familiar. Uh, and in all of that, I do believe we had a great. We do have a great church. We have a great sort of camaraderie and closeness. Um, I was on a panel recently uh, in a preacher's group, and um, and they were discussing COVID nineteen. They were the effect that it's had on the church, and I almost felt very awkward because. The, it, they were ranting. They were, there was uh, about, I don't know, maybe 10 pastors, and one by one, I was at the very end. They started over here, and they said, uh, t- give us you know, your take on COVID-19. And it went from political, mostly political, stayed sort of on a political thread. Um, and uh, there was a lot of ranting and frustration and <laughs> um, sort of defiance. Some people you know, took, refused any action at all, uh, some of the pastors, and so they were very expressive about that. And then it came to me and I said, man, I, I hate to say this, but these guys up here, they're, they're, they're really, there's really so sort of dug in. Um, but I said, I, from our church's perspective, COVID-19 was the best thing that ever happened to us. And I said, I honestly, I can honestly tell you that I can go to my prayer closet and say, thank you, God, for COVID-19, what it's done to our church. And I'll share that with you. And so before we get into any texts, that I'll use tonight, I want to give you the lead up to what God did in our church. And there was a lot of sort of neat little caveats, but, but it wasn't until a particular sort of event started to occur and the ripple effect just got bigger. And I share that with you because it's sort of become a concern of mine now. So we, we started off with this, the last of the youth rallies that were in our, in our uh, area that we went to, and it was extremely lame. I mean, it was just bad, because already the churches had gone into, 
you know, hiding. And, um, and so there was very few churches that had attended this youth meeting and the guy was quite boring, not the speaker, but the guy who hosted it. So there was, there was like, um, well, as Ryan would say, they were winging it, you know, they, it, it wasn't organized by the way, Ryan, you know, if you're looking for another church, Punta Gorda, Florida is a great church. We're taking people into the membership. I mean, uh, if the abuse was too hard tonight, um, you know, we'll, we'll comfort you. We'll, we'll heal your wounds is what we'll do. But, um, but, but yeah, we, uh, the, the kids went to there. The youth leader took our, Andrew Boyles, our youth leader. He took the young people down there and he's new to the youth uh, as a youth leader. He took it from his brother, Gary Boyle, uh, who was the youth leader for 10 or 12 years. And, uh, and so he, they, he took our, our kids down there and the service, it was preached by an old friend of his back in their high school days, um, Colin. Um, and, uh, and so Colin preached, it was a good message, everything's done. And then they went back to the, to our church. We had another event that uh, was scheduled and um and it was an event i was really uncomfortable with i i didn't re- i wasn't sure i was a fan of it um and, in fact i was almost like not a fan of it and what it was was we did i i'm almost uh, sort of you know this is going to split you know you're going to be for me or against me on this but it's a fight camp and i when i it's, that's not a play on words that's exactly what it was there was literally an mma fighter that came in he got saved and he came in uh, to our church and he hosted a fight camp in our in our church i mean the kids boxed, fought, grappled. They did all of this. And, uh, and the guy that preached was, was different. He's extremely different. Uh, he, he, he's just different. I guess that's all I can say. Um, but, uh, but he's really super confrontational. I was a little uncomfortable with him. I've come to love the guy, but I was a little uncomfortable with the whole thing. And, uh, he didn't, come real organized when it comes to preaching like he preached his he forgot what his third point was so he has one of the ladies stand up and give your testimony so while i try to find what my third point was he stands up gives his testimony and uh and she stands up gives her testimony sits down and uh and then he continues to preach and i i thought well that's uh, this lack of preparation this lack of it, i found it very frustrating i found this like we well, had enough time you had enough i and I, and my perception was i was gr- i was growing frustrated with the whole thing back the clock up just a little bit well it was just a little time before that my daughter's a realtor um and uh her broker got covid-19 and uh, she ended up getting sick. In fact, she thinks she may have given it to him, she, and he, but he thinks he gave it to her, so she wants him to stay with that thinking. And so she lives close to our, our you know, connected to our property. She bought a duplex connected to our property. And, um, and so she, she doesn't like to be alone ever, so she's always bringing our family. Somebody's got to sleep in her duplex with her. At, and so... so she, they, our kids started to get sick. Well, then I, I even called my brother about this. I said, I don't know what to do. Should I or should I not get tested? And uh, he said, well, I think you probably should get tested. You have enough information there. You probably should, should get tested for the church's benefits and safety and stuff. He said, this is probably the right thing to do. I really didn't want to do that. But so I felt like, okay, well, I'm not even sick. I'll have my sick kids get tested. Well, Andrew's 17. He was extremely sick. Um, I mean, he didn't care, but he was extremely sick. And, um, and so he went to go get tested. Well, he's underage. I had to go with him. 
So I figured, okay, while there, I'll let them do this little swab. I'd heard that they just, you know, touch the end of your nose. Well, they don't touch the end of your nose. They stick it into the middle of your brain. They swab your brain with that thing. I mean, Andrew, Trey, and myself are coming out crying, you know. But it's not, you don't intend to. You just can't help it. It's just, you know, tears are just watering. And, uh, and so... It's 17 days later now. We're in the middle of this fight camp. My kids are, are in the fight camp. Trey's one of, he's my oldest son, and he's, not, he's old enough to be a counselor in the fight camp. Andrew's enjoying it because he's starting to realize that he's got a skill set, and he's enjoying it, you know, which is really not a good idea for Andrew. But, uh, and so he's tuning a few people up that are counselors, and he's enjoying every minute of it. And, and so then we get... The results. It's 17 days later. I get the results from my COVID-19 test. And the boys are negative but day, at day 15, day 16. I get my results positive. And I thought, oh, no. So I called the, the doctor, and I said, well, what does this mean? The boys were negative. They said, no, they're positive. That's the way it works. If one person's positive, we flip everybody's results. Everybody's positive. Which, you know, I know that's controversial, but that's what they do. So he says if, if your whole family of 12 uh, came in and uh, there was only one person that was positive in the family, we would, we would say all 12 of you have it. And so I thought, okay, well, politically I think that's retarded, but, uh, but I felt like, okay, well, it is what it is. I, uh, in the sort of the, the balance of people's minds, I'm being weighed on what my response is going to be. And, uh, and I have always said, look, don't get all fearful. If you're sick, stay home. So I felt like, okay, now I need to live by this. So I decided I, after counsel and advice and calling around, even, even again, I called my brother about this and, uh, and I decided, okay, we're going to isolate. So we isolated our family. I pulled my kids out of fight camp. They were not happy about that. So I pulled my kids out of fight camp. Josiah was in fight camp. I think he was a little happy about fight camp, about maybe getting pulled. I'm not sure. But, um, but we pulled out of that, and we end up isolating at home. And, uh, and so now there we are at home, and I'm, we're sitting around the table. Fight camp's over. We didn't get to participate in the last day of it. And uh, we're having dinner. And we start sort of grumbling because the kids are really they're very into the church services. They're very, like he has said, they, they're participating in all this stuff. And, and they hate being home. They hate it. They want to be at the, and I'm barring the door. I'm like, you're not going. And, and they're like, I mean, I love this. This is a good thing, you know, because they're like, get out of our way. We're going to church. I'm like, no, I'm not getting out of the way. You're not going to church. You're like, do you hear yourself? Do you hear yourself, dad? You're a pastor and you're telling us we can't. That's the kind of kids I got. You're telling us we can't go to church, really? Are you a Democrat? I mean, I'm like, cut me a break, just back off. You're not going to church, and uh, and so and then tables would turn, you know. Then sometimes I'm like, okay, I, I I'm sick, but I'm not that sick. And then they would stop. They'd be like, no, you promised the people. And it was just we were just at each other um, like that. But we're locked. Fight camp's over. Andrew Boyle is our youth leader. Andrew, boy, we sit around the table, we're talking, and we're, and, and Caitlin, I think, starts the conversation, and she says, well, I really didn't appreciate some different things, and she says some things she didn't appreciate. One of the things that somebody else picked up off of, because she was playing the piano, helping out, different things, she picked up off of, and she said, you know, 
I mean, just the preparation, you would think that, you know, you'd know your points. You don't call on somebody to stand up and give a testimony in the middle of your message because you lose your point. And you just say, you, you, you don't have a, I can't remember what my third point was, so give a testimony real quick while I find it, you know. And, uh, and so then uh, somebody else said, uh, well, the other thing was that youth, you know, they, they, we just started ranting and raving, and we were just grumbling. And somebody brought up this youth conference. They said, well, this youth conference we went to, I mean, we need to start doing our own youth conferences. People don't take it serious enough. There's not enough energy, and there's not enough, I mean, where's the thrill and excitement? I mean, if we're, if we're in it uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ, shouldn't we express that in this dead conferences teenagers aren't going to be excited about going to? Let's, let's get excited about serving the Lord, and we don't have to change the program. But we can ex- express some enthusiasm and like, hey, man, all right, I'm good with that too. And, and, and there, was, there was like one, two, three, four things that were, that were brought up. And I get, this, um, uh, I get this phone call, and it's Andrew Boyle. Andrew Boyle says, I, I, Pastor, I need to talk to you. He said, I'm coming over right now. So, okay, let, let's do this. So um, I figured he's an idea guy, new to the youth department. What, what ideas does he have? And so he says, he, he comes to me, he says, listen, I, I want to talk to you about about something that's been on my heart. And uh, I said, okay, what is it? He said, uh, he said, well, I went to that youth, I brought the kids, the first youth conference that I took the kids to down in Fort Myers to see it. He said, Colin and I were very good friends back in high school. And he says, Colin was always a lot worse than I was, but I was a pretty bad kid, but he was a lot worse than I was. He said, I've grown up in church. I'm, you know, I've always been around church. I grew, I w- I've never not been in church. I've always been in church. And he said, but, I have, no, I have no sort of uh, testimony. I have nothing. There's just a little bit of a, a time back there when I was a kid, but I don't know anything about it. I don't remember anything about it, but I've never, I've never believed I was saved, but I always told myself, I always told myself that I was because Colin is a preacher. I know Colin's a preacher, and I know that he was a lot worse than I was. And so if Colin's saved, I know I must be saved. And he said, because we were buds. He said, Colin stood up, he preached, he gave his testimony. When he gave his testimony, he said, when I was in high school, I was living for the devil. And he says, and it was a few years ago that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. He said, when he said that, my whole world came crumbling down. I thought I was, I was hanging my hat on Colin's salvation. And then I realized Colin's not saved. I said, man, I'm sitting in this youth conference, and I'm feeling so convicted, but I'm looking at these kids. I'm saying, man, pastor made me the youth leader. I can't stand up now. I can't do this now. I'm not going to do this. I'm not getting, I'm not getting saved. And so he said, I, I go to this fight camp. And he said, and um, the preacher's preaching, and he says, it's very convicting. He said, but the most convicting thing was that around his third point, since his mind went foggy, he couldn't remember his point. He called on Charity Boyle to stand up and give her, her testimony. This service, he said, was so odd because it was like it was like everything went weird, and Charity Boyle started giving her testimony to me, and it was like the Spirit of God was using her to say, "I've got one of these, and you don't." And he said, "And I'm 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 just dumbfounded with conviction." And he said, "I'm," I, and he says, "I'm aching inside. I'm crying out, saying, I want one of those. I want to be saved. I just can't break out of this.'" And um. He's there. Andrew Boyle, he's dial tone. I mean, this guy is just like no, no expression. His real highs and real lows are exactly the same. I mean, he, he has no, you know, flexion in the voice, nothing at all. There's no dynamics to his personality. He is just dial tone, flatliner kind of guy. That's his, that's his personality. I mean, that, that's just his personality. But he's at my picnic table and he's 
banging on it like this. And he says, I'm sick of the games, pastor. I'm sick of the games. He said, I've been hiding behind a facade. It's not real. It's phony. I've played a game. And he said, I'm going to hell. And I'm not, I'm not going to let this happen. He said, I'm sitting here before you because I want to confess to you first. I need to be saved. I'm your youth leader. I shouldn't be your youth leader. I should be, I should be a brand new convert in your church. And he said, would you lead me to Jesus? <laughs> and I said, well, not right now, Andrew. You know, I'm <laughs> like slowing over the plate, man. Yeah, I can do that. And uh, Andrew just, we bowed together and he prayed the passionate, I mean, you talk about dynamics. You talk about, man, now his personality is exploding and he's crying out to God and he's saying, oh God, I'm so sorry. He's saying, oh God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for not judging me through those years where I've raised up through the ranks of the church and I've allowed myself to be promoted and I've criticized other believers. And he says, when I knew in my heart I wasn't saved, he said, thank you, God, for your mercy. And Andrew prayed, amen. And he looked at me and he says, you know, he says, I always wondered what it was like. I always wondered what the feeling was like. He said, I always wanted to feel something. And he said, Pastor, it feels great. (laughs) And I'm like, man, Andrew, this is awesome. I felt so bad about what I said next, Walt. I am walking up to the house. You know, I've got COVID-19, right? You know, I mean, I'm the, you know. And I, I can't go back to the church. I'm on lockdown. I was like, Andrew, do me a favor. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> I felt so bad about that. I'm like, don't tell anybody what's happening because I want to be there when you do. I want to be at the church when you, when you tell. I mean, we're, we're working our way up to the house, and, and I'm like, oh, Andrew, I'm really sorry for what I just said. I mean, you need to tell anybody that will listen. You need to. And he says, no, no, no. He says, but, but he says, uh, I said, at least tell my family. Just tell my family. I, I, actually, I asked him, can I tell my family? And Andrew says, no. I said, okay, that's okay, I understand. And he said, no, 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 what I mean, he says, is, is he said, he mentioned this, he said, our youth department, he said, I named it, he's a very creative guy, he said, I named it, and uh, it was, I can't remember the name, what, you remember the name of the youth department? Huh? Ignite. He said, I named it Ignite. He said, what does that mean? He said, I want to name it Unashamed. That's what he said, I mean, five seconds after salvation we're talking about, I want to name it Unashamed. And he said, and I want to be the one that tells your family. He comes into our living room, gets to the dining room table, and he says, he says, um, and he goes down the story. And, it, and when he cites, he cites everything. We just got done criticizing. The youth leader, Charity giving her testimony on point three, the, all these different things about how God spoke to his heart through those particular things. And, and then, he, then he says, and that's, that's what led to my salvation. Our, our family's crying. We're, we're rejoicing with him. And he says, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave. You know, you guys do have the bubonic, so we're going <laughs> to. And so he steps out, and Caitlin was crying, and Caitlin says, you know, we probably really need to learn just to shut our mouth and let God do what God wants to do. <laughs> I said, I was thinking it, you know. I really was. That was so powerful. He went home and told his wife, Liz, Liz Boyle, and Liz called my wife 4 a.m. She said, I just, want, I just want to talk to you about this, and, and I know Liz. Boy, Liz, she's, she's spunky. Boy, she's feisty. She's, 
she's pretty rough. You know, she can be. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, boy, she's mad as a hornet, I bet you. you know, that's a, my first thought. But uh, Trina goes over there, and, um, and she's like, okay, well, uh, Trina even thought that more than I did. And she's like, oh, boy, it's going to get real in a hurry. Like, I don't want anybody to know. And that, I, mean, she, I just, I mean, she's, she's been pretty rough, you know. She goes over there, Liz, and she says, um, Liz says, you know, I don't even have a testimony of salvation. But Andrew got promoted, and I thought, if I say something, I'm going to undermine my husband. I can't tell you how many services I've been through to where the Spirit of God convicted my heart. And she said, but I thought, what will this do to my husband? Andrew was going to go to hell for Colin's sake. Liz is going to go to hell for Andrew's sake. And she says, man, I know I'm not saved. I don't like preaching. I don't like things of God. I don't enjoy it. She says, I'm very critical. She says all these things. I I know that I am not saved. She prayed and she trusted Christ as her Savior. Right there. And Trina comes back and tells me that we're so happy with her. There's a girl who lives in her house. She's got a relationship with, with my son. And she tells my son, Andrew, she says, uh, I, I've never, I've lived here for two and a half years. It's her niece. She says, I've lived here for two and a half years. I've never one time seen them pray. I've never one time seen them read their Bible. I've never one time seen anything spiritual at all from the two of them. She says, it's, it's just, this is a different place. So I come down out of the stairs and you'll see Andrew in the back just walking and praying. You'll see Liz, Liz just with her Bible on her lap, just reading. She comes into the church service, and she used to always be running out. You know, the nursery is a great place for backsliding to occur. You know, it's a pl- it's a place to still look like you're serving the Lord at your escaping preaching. Now, I'm not, I'm not everybody who works the nursery. You know, I mean, the, you can do the disclaimer later, but. <laughs> But she says, I got to tell you, she says, this is the first, she came to me afterwards. She said, this is the first time I ever sat through a church service where I enjoyed it. She said, I got to tell you, she says, this is the pager. I hid it under my purse so that if I got paged, I just could say, I didn't see it. I'm so sorry. Because I, she says, I, I never experienced wanting to hear the preaching. It was so unbelievable. I said, you guys, Andrew, Liz, I said, I'll be back here, you know, I'm watching all this stuff take place, by the way, you know, locked in the house. I mean, I, I want to I be a part of it, but I'm, I'm like, look, I'll be back. I, when I get there, I want you to stand up and give your testimony in church. And they, they, they did. They gave their testimony. Andrew gave it. It was powerful. It was, it was very powerful. Liz gives her testimony. And, um, you know, he inherited the youth group from his older brother, Gary Boyle. Well, I had heard a rumor, and I knew what the rumor was. They were moving away. Uh, they were going uh, to, uh, they're very successful, and um, and he was deciding to move his enterprise, if you will. He's got uh, four, just a number of businesses. So he, he was going to move to Georgia, buy a home, and, and um, so forth. So uh, Andrew gives his testimony. Gary's sort of following me around a little bit. We've been very close. We've been close uh, 14 years or so, and... Um, and uh, he, he says, um, I, he, he says I, I, we all, like I said, we do everything together. Let's go to Culver's. I said, anybody interested? You know, if I, my wife and I, we're going to go to Culver's. Anybody want to go with us? And there was a few people who said yes. And uh, Gary went to those people, and he said, I, I don't want you to go. <laughs> he, goes to the, he says, I, I need pastor tonight. So I sit across the table from Gary, and, um, and he says, I told everybody else not to come because I have to talk to you. 
He said, I didn't know what my brother was dealing with. I had no idea, but I was going to talk to you on my own. He said, um, Spirit of God has grabbed hold of my heart. And he said, um, I think you know that um, I was, um, I'm moving. And um, he said, I'm going to Georgia. And I said, yeah. He says, I'll tell you why. He said, I've been playing a game. <laughs> I give, and he does, he gives, he gives so much more collectively, I mean, beyond measure. And um, he said, I work, I toil. I, I, but he says, I've always known I'm not saved. So I give more. I do more. I got to the place that he says, um, I felt like I crossed the line with God. So I decided that I'm just going to move away to Georgia so at least I can live in peace, die, and go to hell. And he said, but the um, Spirit of God has really been convicting my heart. And um, I know that I need to be saved. Charity didn't know any. His wife didn't know anything about this. Charity is sitting right beside him. And uh, she begins to weep, and she says, when I heard Andrew got saved, she said, I, I prayed the Lord would speak to your heart about this. And I said, Charity, did you, did you question? Did you think he wasn't? And she said, well, he does so much. I just figured it's, he gives so much. I just figured it was just because his life is so busy that he didn't seem to have any real spiritual hungers. Man. And she was weeping and crying, the weight of that coming down on her. So Gary gets saved. We prayed in Culver's. He, he said that um, he fell under a lot of conviction that the night or two before he was sitting around literally right after the fight camp with the fight camp instructor and then another gentleman of our church in a hot tub. And he said they were giving their testimonies and he said, and I almost, I almost just cried out right there. He said, I almost did before I ever knew anything about any of this other stuff. He said, I almost cried right there. I said, well, it's, Pretty rough to get saved in Culver's, but it'd be a horrible testimony to get saved in a hot tub with two other men. But so thank God for his grace that you have a testimony that you got saved at Culver's. So that was pretty powerful. The ripple effect was just, I, I, it just to begin to, to give you an illustration of it, he says, you know, Gary sings. Gary's our song leader. Gary's our youth leader. Gary's, Gary's everything. Gary is a practically, my, wall, my, my brother can tell you this, he's practically an assistant pastor of our church. And, and, um, and he's just a great, great, great guy. And so Gary leads the song service, but all of a sudden Gary can't lead the song service. He can't get through the songs that he's sung for years because now the tears won't stop, you know. Gary, Gary says that the next morning, he said, I mean, I wanted to, I, you, I asked him to give his testimony. He said, I, I thought, well, maybe I'll sing how deep the father's love. He said, I put the CD in to get familiar with the song again. And he said, and I just, I just had to pull the vehicle over. I couldn't, I couldn't get my bearings. And I didn't know about that, but here's the thing. He comes into our church. He said, man, I'm, I'm going to sing that song. He, this was on a Wednesday night or before his testimony or Sunday morning before his testimony. Um, but he was going to practice on Wednesday night. All by himself, he gets this song, he prints it off, and he comes and he sits in the church services, and, he, and he's reading the song. I'm in my office. I don't even know he's there. And I walk out into the auditorium. I don't even, I, I, I just noticed Gary just as I opened up the door. And you know what I'm singing when I open up the door? How deep the Father's love for us. I'm, and Gary's like, oh, he goes, oh, God loves me. <laughs> He stands up and gives his testimony. Anyway, in our church service, it's been a really difficult lady in our church. She's um, she left our church. She brought a little. She brought a church split 
in uh, a bit of a split. She left, but her husband died, so she it was more difficult. She ended up coming back. She's, she's a good lady, but she was just difficult. Gary gives his testimony in the invitation. She's 85 years old, and she comes down. She said, I've always known that I'm not saved. I tried to talk to my husband's. Because she's one that both of them had passed away. And she said, they all said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. They both said that. She says, well, they're dead. (laughs) And I'm worried about it. And she says, for 70 plus years, I have 73 years, she said, I have known that I'm not saved. And she says, this has been her struggle. I didn't even know she, she'd come down. I, I don't mess with her, man. I don't, I don't go unless I'm invited when it comes to this. She's spunky, feisty lady. And she came down and just sat on the platform right beside the, and I said, okay, if you need help uh, here at the altar, would you please raise your hand? I didn't see her raise her hand. I'm not messing with her. Uh, but she did raise her hand. She raised it like this number right here. And I didn't see it. They, people, people here saw it, but they didn't, but they're not going to approach her either. They're scared of her too. So I'm, 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 I'm just standing behind her like this number, and, uh, and I didn't recognize that, so, so I didn't mess with it. But then finally she turns up and looks up at me, and she's, she's just bawling. So, Pastor, I need help. And I said, okay. So I went down, and I got her with my wife, and my wife took her in the back. First, tried to assure her, and then rec- she's like, Trina, you're wasting your time. I've known for decades that I'm not saved. But I have such a reputation, I didn't want to. I didn't want to go on. This ripple effect has led to... And now, as many people have gotten saved, three times as many have, that have doubted their salvation were saved, that we were able to shore them up in their faith, they were saved. But it's staggering to me as a pastor that I was going to be sharing the platform with people that were going to go straight to hell. It was so concerning to me. People that... We have participated, I've trapped, with the Boyles, Andrew and Gary, I've, tra- I've traveled the world with them. I literally have traveled the world with them. Emissions trips, and they were not saved. That is unbelievably disturbing. From that, there's two different college students that has been saved. It has rippled out into other churches that, have, that they've called upon those boys to come and give their, those young men to give their testimonies, and, um, and they have had people in their church to get saved. It's rippled out into the college, colleges where some of their students go to school and they have been saved. And God has done a wonderful work. All along, he kept me locked away in the house. I have to watch it from afar. And be, it was just so sacred. I've said this one. I don't believe that it's in our power to start a revival. But I think it's in our power to stop a revival. And I do believe that God had to just lock me away because I'm so prone to... Take some measure of glory for myself. Oh, glad I prayed or glad I did that. I'm so prone to sort of steal some independent glory and just mess the whole thing up. So I want you to know that there's not, it's not really probably if. It's not that it's, it's probably very, very likely that one of you sitting in here tonight is hiding behind that facade. And you're hiding behind that sort of pretense of salvation, but not salvation. There's evidences of salvation. I'm just going to scurry through these things. I really am. I'm just going to scurry through these things. Salvation has a change that occurs. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become. There's, a, there's an absolute change that occurs, and you recognize it. Andrew steps up, and he says, I, I recognize it. 
Sometimes when a young person is saved at a very, very young age, they're not very aware of that, but they become more aware of it as they get older. So I, I do understand the struggle sometimes. It's not just conclusive. It's not conclusive. So there's a lot of different litmus tests that you can put to recognizing why. Um, and so evidence by a change. Let me just give you a few. I'm just going to give these things to you on the fly. I know that we're going to be there a little later. It's evidenced by the Spirit of God, the abiding Spirit of God, when one is saved. Hereby know we that, that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his Spirit. That's how we know. He referenced 1 John. 1 John is written for the purpose of reassuring the doubting believer. These things written under, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you would know it. And so it's written there. It's absolutely reassuring. It's evidenced by the Spirit of God. My testimony is very, very much alike, the same way. But Andrew's, Gary's, the same way. Uh, Miss, uh, Miss, well, I better not give her name since I give so many rough descriptions of her. We'll keep that out of her. But she was the same way. That as soon as she, she got saved, she recognized the difference and the abiding work of the Spirit of God. The indwelling Spirit of God teaches us and guides us into all truth. Reminds us that we are the children of God. That's the abiding work of the Spirit of God. After I got saved, I went to the football field a few weeks after I got saved, and, uh, and I got hit by Chris Jordan, 305-pound Chris Jordan. I'm a 170-pound tackle, but I was feisty, and uh, Chris hits me after the whistle, and I climbed into Chris's face mask, and I told him everything I thought about him, his family, relatives, distant people. I mean, I just covered all all sorts of things about what I thought about that particular moment. And Chris knew he hit me after the whistle. And I am on top of him. And I am in his fa- face mask. And midstream, I feel this thing I've never felt before. And that's the Spirit of God saying, Hey, sir, we don't talk like that anymore. And I'm staring at Chris, holding Chris's face mask. And I'm just trying to process what just took place. And I'm looking at Chris. And I'm thinking, We... Who, who's we? <laughs> and then I look at Chris and I say, hey, hey, Chris, I'm sorry for what I just said. He's like, what? I hit you after the whistle. It's okay. Go ahead. You know, I'm like, no, Chris, no, Chris, I, I'm not supposed to talk this way anymore. That's the abiding work of the spirit. I didn't conjure it up. I didn't, I didn't falsify it. I didn't make it work. It was just the abiding work of the spirit of God. You know, Paul the apostle uses a, uh, a rhetorical question in 1 Corinthians when he, when he asked the questions, no, you're not. No, you're not that you're the temple of God and the spirit of God dwelleth in you. That is, it's not possible. That is, if you're saved, it's not possible that the Spirit of God hasn't been convicting you and working on you. That's not possible. The indwelling Spirit of God is a powerful truth to knowing that you are saved. Evidence of hearing God's Word. It's unbelievable how immediately they're drawn to the Word of God once a person is saved. How immediately they hunger for the word of God. And they are evidenced by the hearing of the word of God. They want to hear the word of God. And we've already covered a lot of that. Barely, barely, I say, well, I, I'm just going to move along for sake of time. So it's evidenced by the hearing of the word of God. It's evidenced by the love for God's people. Oh, man, I got into Christian, I got into church because I ended up having to go to church because I was taken out of public school and put in Christian school because it just wasn't working out. 
And I just tolerated the church's services. Oh, the music. It was punishing. In fact, even after I got saved, I remember sincerely, after I got prayed my sinner's prayer, I remember asking the Lord, do you think I will be able to like their music? I mean, I just did not. I remember sitting in the church service thinking, this is awful. I don't like this. I don't enjoy this. I don't understand these people. I really even thought about things like why they, they, they sing all the time about gory things like blood and, and, and I, and all that sort of stuff. And then I thought the people of God just seemed weird to me, the brother and sister thing. That's just really, I mean, I mean, you guys sell roses in the airport. I mean, you guys, I mean, I've just thought they're, they're just all so weird. Um, and the idea of the people of God and liking it and enjoying it, I didn't have to sort of stir it up. When I got saved, there was an instinctive love for the brethren that wasn't there before. This touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Now, that's one verse. There's ten verses we could go to. It is absolutely crystal clear that one of the evidence of salvation is that you're going to love the people of God. I get disturbed by God's people quote-unquote, that sometimes seem to not have any affection for God's people. It's like, it's not measuring up. It's not evidencing out that this is what salvation looks like. There's plenty of things that are evidence of salvation. There's an internal peace. Man, I, I was such an angry kid before I got saved. So angry, so frustrated. And there was a, just a peace I remember our, our football, it was a Christian school. They took their football serious, but it was a Christian school, clearly. I mean, it was still a Christian school, so it's a version of football, to be true, Brother Monday. I get it. I get it. I see you back there. Um, but, uh, it, it, but, but, you know, even in that, the coach that stood up, he said, uh, he said, you know, we all were pretty skeptical of Jay when he said he got saved. Well, they kind of knew me. They knew that I, you know, knew how to walk you know, make both sides happy. And I was kind of, I was a phony, but he said one thing for sure. He said, he gets more excited about the things of God than he ever got about. Then he gets about making a touchdown. That's for sure. Now, one thing is I didn't make a whole lot of them. That's one problem right there. But the truth is that I, there was a new peace and a new joy that came that wasn't there before. It's a new perspective. It's a new, it's evidenced by peace. I just move along here and just give you a few more things. Evidenced by the leading of God. Evidenced by God's works. That is, there becomes, he that has begun a good work, he works it out of you. Uh, the Bible would say, we are his workmanship. That's what happens. You get saved, you're his workmanship. That's not, that's not an, if, and if thing, that's, an, that's the way it works. You get saved, you become his workmanship, and he begins to craft his work out of you. And he which hath begun that good work, he works it out of you. And so, the evidence of the chastening of God. I think we've all been there. Those of us who are saved, born again, we've all been there. Evidence by a genuine humility and evidence by a love for God himself. And, in, and I would say, it lastly, and then I'll close with the personal illustration, it's evidenced by a new desire. There's a guy in our church that got saved. He, he actually led our service tonight. Um, his name is Peter Hurd, and uh, he's a deacon in our church now, but he got saved. Peter came into our church. He sat right there and, um, in, our, in our church service, and Brother Johnny Pope was the preacher. And Johnny Pope preached a message, preached on the cross, and, and, um, and Peter came, and he got saved uh, in the service. He, he, he actually came to me, he said, and he says, um, 
Father Shepherd, he says, I just want to thank you for the service. I said, I am not your father. <laughs> and, um, and he says, well, what do you guys call, call yourselves? And uh, I said, I go by great one here at our church, great one. <laughs> and, and so, so Peter immediately, first words out of his mouth. Now, nobody's talked to him. Nobody's conveyed anything. Only thing that he has done is he has prayed a sinner's prayer. That's it. That's all, all they've done. And they've reassured him in some scripture verses. And Peter trusted Christ. And this is what Peter does. Peter says, uh, Father Shepherd, and then we finally got him down to uh, brother and uh, pastor. And he says, Pastor, he says, I need a Bible. I need a Bible. The Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. There's an immediate cry of a believer, a new believer. I know what I need. You know, our children, we've got a lot of them, you know. They all knew what they needed. I love getting in the middle of that, by the way. I love sort of when the, when the little baby's crying and, uh, and wants mom. And then I was like, oh, don't you love daddy? Hey, don't you love daddy? And that baby... You think they're precious, they're evil. (laughs) You know in your mind, if that baby was as strong as that baby's voice is, that that baby would kill me to get to mother. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm glad that God makes them where they can't even hold their own head up. You know, you give them, they can't even hold their head up. And you think, man, this thing's so weak, it's so pathetic, and it's so just little. And then all of a sudden it makes a noise, and it's like, Good night. Where did that noise come from? Wow. God gave her a set of, him a set of vocal cords that are completely developed. And man, it's like, I know what I need. Just like a new believer. It's like, I need a Bible. I need a Bible. I need a Bible. I want to be more preaching. When's your next service? When's your next service? When's your next service? I need more preaching. I need more word. Do you have a program? Do you have discipleship? Do you have something? I, I, I want it. And new believers are funny. I mean, there, you're, a lot of us have found the balance of life and we're able to do some other things. And almost new believers are like, I don't need that. I don't want that. I want more Bible, more Bible, more Bible, more Bible, more Bible. And they're sort of like just crying out. I need, I need, I need, I need. And I don't need to, to, I don't need a cheesesteak. Whoa, I'm sorry about that. That was, I'm sorry about that. That was a little too far, wasn't it? But a, a new believer's crying out for the word. You know, it's a, it's all the evidence of salvation. And I get so disturbed, Walt. I'm sure that you stand up here sometimes and you preach and you look out at a congregation and sometimes you say, I've just never seen a hunger there. I, I, I mean, the good guy brings his family, but I've never seen an independent hunger. I've just never seen a prompting. I've never seen the, them fall under conviction. I've never seen, I mean, they sort of know the steps. They know the motions. They know the word. They know the attire. They know the, and they've got it all. By the way, in every single person that I've cited to you that got saved, they were the most critical persons of our church. When I say critical, I mean they, they were very legalistic. They had a very tight, rigid manner of living. They have critiqued me because I was not strong enough in their opinion on different things and they were not saved. I was 17 years old and I went 
to teen camp. God supernaturally, I close with this. This is that closing illustration that I cited before the other illustration that was the lead up to the closing illustration. I was 17 years old. And uh, God had used some significant events in my life to really bring me to a low point. And I was at a low point. And I really wanted to escape. Um, and I was, it was my last year of school. I was very, very wild. And I was ready to just go loose. I was really ready to just go. I was almost done. I was almost ready just to, to really just bolt. Um, but I was brokenhearted and I was pretty down and pretty discouraged and, um, um, and very frustrated with life in general. I had started a new job and, um, I heard about the teen camp, never been to a teen camp before. And I thought maybe that'd be a good thing. Maybe if I just get away from everything and I go to this teen camp and just get away from it all. So I go to, I go to my boss and I said, uh, boss, I said, I'd like to, I'd like to go to teen camp. They said, you just started here. There's no way they're, we're going to, I said, I'd like a, a week off. They're like, well, well, you're going to get fired. I said, well, I'm not going to get fired. I don't, I, I won't take the week off if I'm going to get fired, but I would like, I'd like to take the week off. So why? And then my boss said, he said, well, uh, why? And I said, well, because I want to go to this. It's a team camp. It's something my church does. He said, okay. He said, well, I'll, let, me talk to, uh, let, me, let me talk to you later about it. So I met with him the next morning. He called me in his office. He said, we don't give days off. We don't give that. You, you don't get to ask a day off when you're, when you're only a week at the job or two weeks at the job. It's not going to happen. But he said, man, I'm going to tell you a story. He said, a few weeks ago, I went to a church service and um, I got saved. I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. It might just be that God wants to do something in your life like what he's done in my life. And so he said, I'm going to give you the week off. I went to team camp. I, I kind of thought right there, like, I think I'm going to get beat up pretty bad. <laughs> you know. And I go to team camp and the preaching service, I know this, this guy is, the, the preacher was uniquely, well, let's just leave it at that. He's just unique. And, um, and so it wasn't necessarily the most dynamic services, but the spirit of God convicted my heart. Like the first service, I'm wrecked. I mean, I'm just, I've never been under this kind of conviction. Now I've been in church service for a long time. I had to go to church service, one church service a week, uh, after I'd uh, gotten into Christian school and I was in Christian school since uh, about ninth grade. And, uh, and when I got around the preaching, man, my, my arm started popping up at invitation times. I don't think I'm saved. Like, Do you have any doubt about it? Man, I think I don't have, I, I think I've got some doubt about it. My hands started popping up in invitations and, uh, and going up and going up and going up so much so that I actually have rotator cuff issue right now. I'm, I was raising my hand all the time. It got to the place I'm thinking, I, I'm not raising my hand anymore. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just not going to raise my hand. I'm not going to do this anymore when a pre- I, I just consciously told myself, I'm just, I'm just out on that. I'm just not going to raise my hand anymore. I'm just going to function with it. It's just my thing. I know I'm struggling with. And so when the, when we went out to the, the camp, it was intense. It was very, very intense. And I was, I was under a lot of conviction and I thought, man, I, I need to give something up. I need to start living better. I mean, my brother had gotten his heart right with the Lord and he was living for God. Maybe if I started living more like him, and uh, I was falling under a lot of conviction like this. And then another service would go and it, it, it had got me physically ill. That's how much conviction. I'm not exaggerating. I, I was physically ill. The games, I couldn't function. I was just sideways in my mind under intense conviction. Monday and Tuesday. And I'm just wrecked in my mind. I'm thinking, ah, I just don't know. 
And then Wednesday comes along, and when Wednesday comes along, I make this, this, I go through the Wednesday morning service where the preacher preaches, I'm intensely convicted, and it's tearing me apart, and I feel like, I, it's gotta be it, I must not be saved. And, um, and then I started thinking, I thought, man, what, man, what is that gonna look like? You know, I'm gonna go down and, and, and make this profession of faith, and I'm, I'm gonna do this salvation thing, and I'm gonna, pastor's gonna make me get baptized, and then everybody's gonna see me fumble and fa- falter like I always do, and it's all gonna, just all gonna go to pieces, and I thought, man, I just, I don't wanna go down this road. I make a decision. Tonight's service, I'm gonna rededicate my life. That's what I'm gonna do. It's Wednesday night, I rededicate my life. I mean, I have been wrecked all week long. It's Wednesday night, I'm going to rededicate my life. The preaching starts. Now, this is all just in my mind. This is not biblical. I'm not saying it's biblical. It was just all in my mind. I didn't have any biblical pretense, understanding, or anything. I'm sitting there, and I feel absolutely nothing. Like, dead, cold. I felt like Andrew said. I felt like Gary said. I felt like, I felt like what these people have said. I crossed the line with God. And he was done. And I'm sitting out there. And now I'm not, I don't even feel like crying. I don't feel even, I feel dead to everything that's going on. And I am scared. Because in my mind, I'm sitting there saying, I have just offended God and he's done with me. I heard different illustrations. I don't know how they are, true they are, but I just, in my mind, in, in some of those graphic illustrations about guys that cross the line with God, um, you know, I think there was a guy, God's three deadlines, and, and I, I, re- I remembered pastor would bring those, the, and I'm thinking, that's me. I, I, fall, I fall in that category. I cross the line. There's no more conviction. The spirit of God's not wooing, draw, none of this. I went down. I was sitting in the chair, and I went down to the altar to pray, and it, and it was just cold. I was prepared to rededicate my life. I was willing to rededicate my life, but it was cold. Nothing happening. I went back to my I didn't tell. I felt like this is a waste. I'm not going to tell anybody because I don't feel anything. Went back to the chair, sat back down, and I thought, that's it. I'm going to hell. That's it. I'm done. God's done. And I'm going to hell. I was so frightened. I was so disturbed. Thursday comes. I sit. Nothing. Preaching Thursday. Thursday night. Preaching again. Nothing. I thought, nah, I'm done. I crossed the line with God. We go around the campfire. I'm telling you word for word. I'm, I, I mean, as my mind recalls it, I'm, I'm not trying to embellish anything. But we sit around the campfire. Bruce Martin's the youth leader at the time. And he says, let's, let's give some testimonies. And they work their way around the room. And one person stands up, gives a testimony. Another, another person gives a testimony. Another person gives a testimony. And, and they're talking about what God has done in their life. And, and, and man, I'm thinking, oh, I wish I would have. I wish I would have acted on it. I wish I would have done something. I wish I, and I was sort of saying almost like what Andrew was saying, that I, I'd love to have a testimony. I'd love to have a testimony of salvation. I'd love to be able to say that but I don't have, he's done with me. And I'm back there and I'm just wrecked, you know. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to hell. And when Bruce stands up there, Bruce Martin stands up there. He didn't like me, by the way. He just didn't like me at all. Well, I I wasn't very likable. And uh, he was a youth leader that just didn't like me. And um, he stands up and while he stands up, he's talking a while. He's not preaching or anything like that. He's just talking and he's closing up camp. He's kind of closing up, not giving instructions yet, but just wrapping things up. It was a good camp, 
A lot of good things happen. We're really rejoicing with some different things. Thanks for coming, kids. And we're really, that's sort of the dialogue. And I'm back there. I'm saying, God, listen, I'm, I, don't, I don't know what the words are. I don't know what the magic is. But I know you're done with me. And I get it. I get it. But I don't want to go to hell. And I prayed. I just, I mean, I was all around these punk kids that I had talked to going into camp with me so I wouldn't be alone, that they would be with me. And so they're all making fun of everything that's going on. And I remember looking at a couple of them and just saying, shut, shut it up. And, um, and I, I bowed my head and I said, God, if you'll give me one more chance, I promise you I won't mess around. I promise you I won't mess around. And I just look up, and there's Bruce standing up there. And, and, and he's like, oh, thank kids. It was great. He said, you know, there's really not any reason why God wouldn't give one young man one more chance. Man, I didn't, I didn't wait for anything else to be said. I just, Spirit of God just poured down on me. And I thought, it's not too late. <laughs> and I steamrolled everybody in front of me. I mean, I'm just, tears just falling out everywhere. And I'm like, it's not too late. It's not too late. And I just ran right over to Bruce. And Bruce's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and he starts, he starts pointing me over to some other guy in the corner. I'm like, I don't care. Tell me where to go, man. And he pointed me over to, actually, my coach was out there. And my coach took me around the corner. And, and I went down to my knees. And I said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I need to be saved, and I know what I need now. I know what I need. And I trusted Christ that night. I went back, sat in the church service. Sat Instead of, I sat there. And the ladies that stood up, I, I couldn't make it through their songs. The, church, the songs that I hated, I loved. The guys that they came by to shake my hand when I to welcome me into the family of God, and I was like, "Can I hug you?" <laughs> you know, it's like a, one guy, Brian Brooker. Remember Brian Brooker? He comes by and he shakes my hand. He says, "Out of your whole family, I knew you weren't saved. I've been praying a year and a half that God would save you." I said, "Do you do anything?" He says, "Yeah." He says, "I I teach a Sunday school." I said, "Will you do you visit them?" Yeah. I said, "Can I visit them with you?" Yeah, sure. I said, "Do you do anything else?" He said, "Yeah, I'm a part of it. It's called Fisherman's Club." I said. Do you guys go fishing? Is that what? No, no, that's not what we, he says, we, we go out soul winning. I, I said, can I go with you? Yeah, yeah, you can go with me. I said, if you won't mind, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll, I'll, I'll absolutely go. I, I, it wasn't fake anymore. It wasn't phony anymore. I wanted, I didn't want to show up at the last minute and leave at the first. I wanted to show up an hour before the church service started and stay an hour after church was done. I loved the people of God. I loved the songs. I wanted the word of God. I started reading the word of God and hungering for it. Everything like a newborn baby came to life for me. It wasn't conjured up. I broke out of the phoniness of what I had, the facade of Christianity. I'm absolutely convinced. There's not, it's not if, I know. Some of you just made, made it up through the ranks. You eked your way through and you married a good girl. And now you got to put the show on for her. Or you married a good guy and you got to put the show on for him. Or your mom and dad are convinced and you've done some really good spiritual things along the way. And now your mom and dad are convinced and you got to put the show on for them. But the real question is, who are you deceiving? Who, who was Judas deceiving? Judas. Betrayus, the son of man with the kiss? Do you really think you pulled it off, Judas? The only one that's deceived here, Judas, is you. If you're not saved and you've been living in this sort of zone, you need to be saved tonight.